This is a Hot Pie Original. So, Griff, if you yeah. can help us get famous enough that I could put paint on paper and get paid a lot of money for yeah, it. Yeah, right. Just tell, tell people about us so, yeah. we can, so I can, <laughs> well, I'll split the I money. Get? If I do the painting, if I do the painting, what do I get? Oh, we'll split it with you. Recognition. Yeah. Recognition. Yeah. recognition. I'll slide you some money under the table <laughs> yeah, real yeah. quick. Don't, don't front. I got you. I'll give you a couple hundred dollars. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Gray Area Podcast with me, Chad Fisher. No more, it's no more. Yo, yo, it's Aaron Cheatham. Yeah, we out the house, boy. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Gray Area Podcast. I am Chad Fisher alongside my co-host, Mr. Aaron Cheetah. Aaron, how you doing, brother? Brother, I'm fantastic. It's like summer outside, man. Summer. Damn it. This is, we are straight up in Satan's playground right now. Dog, yeah. It's, it's yeah, it is, man. Yeah, it went from Fucking, mo- Monday, it was cool. Yeah. And then Friday, it's like, dude, like, I, I, it's been, it's been about... Mm, 10 months since my nipple sweated. And <laughs> that happened as soon as I walked out the house. Yeah. It was like, oh, it is yeah. thick out here. With yeah, it's it oppressive. It is thick, yeah. This is... It's like Georgia in this bitch. A hot boy summer for real, <laughs> goddammit. Like, this is... Yeah. It is it is uncomfortable real fast. And, like, uh, this weird thing happened in the past couple months. In my, in my neighborhood, our HOA, they uh, provide... Um, you know, lawn services front for mm-hmm. the front yard. So we've been there five years and it ain't never been a problem. But for some reason they hire some new dude that don't know the rules and he's just been going in people's backyards oh, and, and cutting their backyards. Yeah, yeah. And on days like today, I'm like, go on, brother. Nah, <laughs> I ain't yeah. finna stop yeah, you. Yeah, go ahead, man. I'll leave that bitch unlocked. I will yeah. I left it open. In fact, I was out there with flags like in the airport bringing him in. Come on, brother. Weed eater right I, here. I know I need to mow my lawn, but uh with the pollen as high it is as it is right now, I'm just not even Gina, I, yo, my, my girlfriend's sick as hell. I'm like, I'm not messing with this shit right now. I don't now. know who this new dude is, but he needs to, he might be my shout out. This new dude yeah, that, there you go, that man. doesn't know the rules yeah. and has just been walking in people's backyard. He, yeah. He's cut my grass for the past month and a half. Dude, yeah, he deserves a shout out. And uh, I mean, yeah, he moves all the stuff around in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, that's annoying. But fuck it. Like, yeah, I didn't not? have to go out there and break that sweat. I didn't dude. have to deal with that pollen. Yeah, it's fucking I didn't have to do none of that. degrees a day, too. Man. It is. Yeah stupid it yeah. is so stupid how's your week been it's been good man um been chilling with my son all week man he's like uh becoming more and more talkative which is awesome he's uh just a happy kid man he's so fucking he's such a joy to be around man i miss him right now wish i was with him <laughs> but he's sleeping i tried to get over there to my girlfriend's before uh his nap time and just missed it man so i was pissed don't, but uh don't tell my kids this but whenever they're gone for the weekend like ah uh, <laughs> low-key I'd be like, damn, I wish those little bastards were over here right now. <laughs> For real? Oh, man, I love, I love awesome. the hell out of my kids. Yeah. Like, I, I, I spend, if I could, I would just stay in the house with my kids 24-7. Yeah. Even when they're getting on my nerves, even when they're annoying the hell out of me. Like, as soon as they leave the room, I'm like, I wish they come back in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah why, why don't y'all come back and annoy daddy some more, man? Right? Why don't y'all... I want to no. be a stay at home. And then dad, as soon man. as they come back, it's like, hey, don't touch me. No, stop. Yeah, hey, Get off. No, stop. Don't touch. Please don't. And I have <laughs> yeah, two. Yeah. I have two, a five and a three year old. And they almost like their minds are like a hive mind. Yeah. So like and my parents have seen this before where it's like, I'm talking to one. And then the other one will run by doing something. They go, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Wait, I told you not to do that no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get down. Don't jump on the couch. Write your words, please. Uh-huh. Where did you get that from? It's yeah. like, it's constantly like, 
what the heck is it? like? <laughs> yeah. Please, I feel like I'm in a movie. But then, like, they go somewhere else in the house, like, and I hear their mom yelling, and I'm like, thank God she's catching it. Yeah, yeah. And also, I'm like, come back. <laughs> come back. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Please come back. You got shout-outs for the week? Yeah, man, my shout-out. Dude, I forgot to do this a couple weeks ago. My, my cat's birthday was two weeks ago, man. And you know, uh, you know Bronte, you know Tady. She's the shit, man. She's awesome. And she's an avid listener of the podcast, so she doesn't have a choice. <laughs> Not by choice. Seriously, man, she watches that shit. She watches each episode like three times with me. Man, but you so. probably leave it on in her room oh, while yeah. you're gone all day. It's just she has multiple rooms, by the way. Looping, dude. Yeah, no, she's a shit, man. So shout out to my little baby. She's three years old. She's my other kid. Okay, um, my second child. My shout out this week goes to DMX. I can't go to nobody else. Oh yeah, man. That's uh, terrible. Rest in peace, DMX. Uh, like we talked about him before on the podcast when we had Eric Sprig on. Um, but for me, like DMX played a big part in my in my coming of age. Uh, you know, I was that age. I was what, 17, 18 yeah. when his first album dropped. Dude, you we know, talked about him a couple weeks ago on the show. With Eric Sprig. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Remember when I just said that three uh, seconds nah, ago? No, I wasn't paying attention. You should listen more often. I, I should. Yeah. I should start listening. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, for for me, and I think- Hey, man, too, did we talk about him when we had Eric Sprig on the show? He played a big part <laughs> in my in my in my coming to age yeah, in my, yeah, in my adulthood, becoming a man. Like he was, man, he was the- Tragic the, situation, man. He was the soundtrack of my late teens, early 20s. Uh, and we all knew he like the way he went out. Nobody's surprised that he went out the way he mm. went out. But damn it, what a ride that man had! Yeah. Like we, ju- I just watched did he him. Die or is he still? He passed today. Oh, did he really? He passed today. Damn, dude. Um, we saw him a couple months ago on Versus with Snoop Dogg. Oh, that's right. And yeah. it was amazing to see him looking like the uncle at the at the family reunion. Mm-hmm. And it was like cool to see this evolution of this man that went from you know just a real grimy bulldogs on chains <laughs> you know riding bikes in the middle of the street he Not i mean he caused a shit. revolution in in the late 90s early 2000s i mean he started a movement and then to see him go from that and then fall on hard times him and cat williams with the cocaine and the dog and all the things he's done in the news in and out of jail but you know to come around and just be a calm old dude just yeah. you know, out of breath singing his songs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. wearing sweatpants and yeah. stuff. It was just like it was amazing. This dude was once rocking crowds, hundred thousand strong in mm-hmm. Europe, big festivals, mm-hmm. and he went from that to just being this cool old dude chilling that you can go hang out with or whatever. And uh, I mean, you're gonna be missed, Earl Simmons. Real talk. Uh, that's my shout out of the week. Rest in power, brother. Uh, and everybody out there that's feeling something right now because of DMX's passing. Like you're not alone. Uh, and let's party up today. Y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here. <laughs> They're gonna be playing that everywhere downtown Austin today. Oh, today, the whole Sorry, way no. after we finish this show, I'm getting in my car, I'm turning the volume all the way up, and all you're gonna hear is I roll down Congress is what these bitches want from us. be barking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for sure. So shout out to him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got a guest today, man. Bring him in. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, super excited about our guest today, man. Uh, our guest today is a filmmaker. He's the founder of Freedom Force International. He'll be speaking at the United We Stand conference in Cambria, California on July 3rd and 4th. He's the author of the immensely of the immensely popular books World Without Cancer, the story of vitamin B17. And of course, one of the one of the most popular books of all time. Um, everyone knows about this book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, it just went through its fifth edition. Please welcome to the show, Mr. G. Edward Griffin. How you doing, Griff? Thanks for coming on, brother. We appreciate I- it. 
Well, thank you. I'm doing great. I'm enjoying your your conversation. I wish you'd keep it up like those kids. Uh, come on back. <laughs> yeah, come on back. Like those kids. <laughs> uh, Griff, do you have a DMX story? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> um, but this is going to be a super fun interview. There's so many things. I've always wanted to talk to you, G. And uh, uh, also, you have a cool ass name. And I wish my name was G. I could just be, yo, I'm a G. What's up? You know what I'm saying? I think it would give more street street cred if no, I was. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, I think so. No. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, say how you will. But uh, this is going to be a super fun interview. But before we get to the interview, we're going to play a little game with you. It's got a little break the ice, get to know you a little bit better. You want to uh, play a game with the Gray Area Podcast, Griff? Mm-hmm. He said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> the game we're playing this week is one of our favorites. It's called Julian's Got What? I love this game. This is my favorite game. So the way this game works is uh, we go to juliansauctions.com. It's out of Beverly Hills. And I'm going to give you uh, something that was auctioned off the item and give you a price. And you just tell me higher or lower. Do you think that the price is higher or lower that somebody paid for that item? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm going to lose out on this. But anyway, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I'm starting off hard because DMX passed today. I, I wanted to kind of... Uh, to do some things that reminded me of DMX. So our first item uh, on the auction block is a Snoop Dogg painting that was painted by Snoop Dogg himself and auctioned off. So an actual painting that Snoop Dogg painted of his own album cover. Oh, okay. Uh, from uh, the Doggy Style. It's the dog from yeah, the yeah. Doggy Style album cover. So a painting by Snoop Dogg auctioned off for $50,000. Higher or lower? $50,000. I'm going to say lower. You mean the price actually paid would be lower than fifty thousand? Yeah. yeah. So tell me if you think it was higher or lower than fifty thousand dollars. Boy, fifty thousand sounds like a big price for a painting, but I guess Snoop Dogg fans, uh, some of them got filthy rich, didn't they? <laughs> they did. So I'll <laughs> I'll say uh, the price is uh, the actual price was higher. You are correct, Griff. Oh, damn. This Snoop Dogg painting auctioned off for ninety six thousand dollars. Damn, this dude's just printing money at this point. Man. Yeah. So, Griff, if you yeah. can help us get famous enough that I can put paint on paper and get paid a lot of money for yeah, it. Yeah, right. Just tell, tell people about us so, yeah. we can, so I can, <laughs> well, I'll split the money. If I do the painting, if I do the painting, what do I get? Oh, we'll split it with you. Recognition. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. Recognition. I'll slide you some money under the table <laughs> yeah, real yeah. quick. Don't, don't front. I got you. <laughs> I'll give you a couple hundred dollars. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is another one from that same collection. Uh, this is an Eminem Slim Shady Sign Kangle Cap. I don't know if you're familiar with the Kangle Caps, but they were real popular back in the 80s. Um, Eminem signed one. Do you think that uh, hat auctioned off for more or less than $3,000? Oh, more. More than $3,000? Yeah. For an Eminem hat? Yeah, dog. The dude's like... Uh, people love that motherfucker. Okay. Griff, yeah. what you got? More or less than $3,000 for an Eminem signed Kangle Cap? Oh, I'll put it up to the universe, and the universe says... Go for less. <laughs> it was more. Oh, the universe was wrong. It was $6,400. The universe they made... is wrong. <laughs> From time to time. so. <laughs> but you know what? Because the, the the universe don't have tabs on what Eminem is doing. Yeah. Like, nobody has tabs on what Eminem is doing. Yeah. It's like, is this hair blonde or brown this week? We don't know which one it is. Yeah. Uh, it was $6,400 for that hat. God damn. Uh-huh. This one is um uh-huh. one that I actually, uh that hit me right in the heart. This is a Madonna. <laughs> Evita beaded dress with DVD. So the dress she wore in the movie Evita, uh, and it comes with the DVD. Oh wow! Is that over or under seven thousand dollars for uh, under? 
uh, a Madonna worn dress from the movie Evita, Evita with a DVD. That movie was terrible, by the way. Well, she's such a symbol. I guess I would say over. You're correct. It's ten thousand dollars. Jesus, ten thousand dollars. And the reason that that one hit me was because when uh when I was in high school, I was in the band, mm-hmm. played the tuba. Um, and during marching season, we did an Evita thing for a marching competition. So I we had to learn the music to mm-hmm. Evita for marching band. So when I saw that, I was like, I know Evita. <laughs> I know Evita. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we got two more to go. Two more to go. And this is where we get into the normal. Um, Julian, where did you get this from? Yeah. Um, we still got some connections. He man. has some connections, G. This is why we do this, because Julian has some connections, and we don't know how he gets some of this stuff. Uh, like, for instance, a Marilyn Monroe 1955 invoice related to her Cadillac. Did that invoice auction off for more or less than $5,000? Oh, more. Marilyn Monroe 1955 invoice related to her Cadillac. <clears throat> well, I don't know who to ask for this one. Uh, <laughs> John K- JFK. Ask JFK. <laughs> he might be able to tell you. Yeah, he I paid the bill. Trust, I, can't trust the un- I can't trust the universe, so let's see. Uh, I'll go for less. It was $1,000. Oh, wow. $1,000. And this is how I knew no Marilyn Monroe messed with brothers because she was pushing a caddy back in 55. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> probably got some uh, interesting information about Marilyn Monroe and everything like that and what she may or may not have known, you know? Right. For sure. I can't I've, wait to hear. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, always wondered that. Last one. This is the last one from Julian's Guy. What? <laughs> last one. G, are you ready for the last one? Yeah, I am. So far, Chad is... Are you up on the cards? I think he's winning. Okay, yeah, you're up 2-1. Yeah, 2-1. Yeah. Chad, you need this one. All right. All right. Steve Martin, vintage, nude girl neckties. So Steve Martin neckties that had nude girls on them. Oh, okay. Uh, I think he would wear them every now and then in like interviews or yeah, yeah. performances. That's hilarious. Steve Martin, vintage, nude girl neckties. Were these more or less than $300? Less. Less? Yeah. Mr. Griffin, I'm I'm struggling to to get some vibrations. What would I pay for that tie? I would ha- I would say less. You would say less. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't pay at all. Like, I wouldn't. I, wouldn't. I, I don't want that. I'd rather go get James Brown suspenders for a hundred dollars. Um, they were actually more though. They were actually oh, wow. more. Damn. They actually auctioned off for one thousand twenty four dollars for Steve Martin yeah. vintage nude girl next ties. Uh, but with that being said, mm. with a score of two to one, our guest, G. Edward Griffin, yeah, he has wins. won. You, you, congratulations, sir. You usually uh, get a uh, like a little party. Well, what, well, well, we we <laughs> had a we, we had a we had a paperweight. Yeah, we had we, we had a party bag. Um, and one of our guests in the past couple of weeks ripped it open and tried to sniff cocaine out of it, which there was none in there. There was nothing, but he ripped it open and. Try to snort the insides. Yeah. So uh, we're working you on replacing. But know. for right now, um, what we can send you is thoughts and prayers and love. I can send you air hugs. You want an air hug? I can do air hugs <laughs> yeah. and a high five. Yeah. Yeah. There, there you go. You <laughs> won. <laughs> That's the grand prize. Um, you have headlines for us? Yeah. Today? Yeah. So I got some headlines. Thanks for here. playing, G. Uh, did you hear about a Michigan University is the first in the country to offer a cannabis chemistry scholarship? No. Yeah. Lake Superior State University. And Salt St. Marie. Wait, Lake Superior State, State University? University yeah. That's not a real school. <laughs> that is not a real school. They made history in 2019 when it was the nation's first to open a cannabis chemistry program. Now Steadfast Labs in Hazel Park, a cannabis testing lab, is offering annual $1,200 scholarships for LSSU 
students in the program, which teaches students how to analyze cannabis related compounds and contaminants. They need to have a cannabis distribution program for Michigan. So maybe these people stop <laughs> trying to kidnap governors. And yeah, shit. <laughs> Doc, uh, they're going to have a bunch of guys named like like uh, Sativa and uh Indi- and like women named Indica applying for this and shit. Instead of that, how, <laughs> how, how about y'all worry about getting that water fixed and flipped? Yeah, dude, I know, right? Like we're talking about some cannabis freaking chemistry. I don't care about no cannabis chemistry. Get the lead out the water chemistry. Do that. Dude, uh, Do Michigan's that, always been like a huge cannabis uh, state. I remember going to Michigan games as a kid and people would just be like uh, smoking weed everywhere. Like I used to, I didn't know that it was weed until I was much older. Oh, like, like in Austin? Oh. Yeah, yeah, like like this was at Michigan games, like mm-hmm. back in the day. I used to always think of cigar smoke, and then I found out later, like, dog, no, they're smoking weed. And they'd, everyone just be like running around yelling hash bash. Like, hash bash, man. I didn't know that it was legal in uh, Michigan. I went to visit my family in Detroit uh, two years ago, and I hadn't been there in 20 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was rolling down the street, and I saw these green crosses on 8 Mile, because we live right off, right in between 8 and 7 miles. So, mm-hmm. uh, I was rolling down and saw these green crosses, but I was like, I did, didn't like dawn on me that yeah. those were like dispensaries. Cause I was like, there's no way that it's fucking legal in, in Detroit. Yeah. Especially when it's like strip club, green cross, strip club, green cross, strip club. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm not even trusting that anyways. Yeah, yeah, right. uh, and then when I got to, I left there, went to Ohio and people were like, Oh, did you bring some weed with you? I was like, no, they're like, you were in Detroit for three days and you yeah. didn't bring... I, yeah, didn't, I was like, oh, is that what those green crosses were? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but even in Detroit, I'm not stopping in there. No, nah, goddamn, hell no. You get, that's the only place you can get robbed <laughs> doing something legal in broad daylight. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you back in the day, I lived uh, practically on the corner of Livernois and 8 Mile nice. in Detroit. And uh, nice. we didn't have any green crosses there or any strip <laughs> clubs in those days. Oh, that's too bad. Or if, <laughs> if we did, I was too young or too innocent to recognize what <laughs> yeah. was. Was Seven Mile still the scariest place on earth back then? No, I didn't think Seven Mile. What I thought Eight Mile was. <laughs> <laughs> seven Mile is so damn scary. Like, <laughs> like uh, yeah, you can. I mean, I think I told you the story where I went shopping uh, on Seven Mile. Yeah. And uh, they, they had to have a guy like the doors are locked when you go in the store to get clothes or whatever. He op- unlocks the door, yeah. lets me in. I do my shopping. And then he like, you have to have an armed escort back to your vehicle. God damn. In the middle of the day, you know, just because people were getting knocked upside the head. So like they had the dude, you know, pulled his piece out and then walked me to my car <laughs> to make sure that I got in. Okay. So I was like, God damn, seven mile. Like that's hilarious. man. Are we in the DR? What the fuck is this? I yeah, felt, yeah, sure. I felt like I was living in belly. <laughs> yeah. um, well, seven mile back in the day when I was there in the forties, uh, was, was a nice area. Very nice. In the forties. Yeah. Oh, I imagine it was. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, they uh, had some industry. And yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. 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 No. Um, second headline preachers and their $5,000 sneakers. Did you know this, man? I didn't even know you could buy sneakers for five grand. Oh, you ain't been paying attention to the sneaker oh, market. Dude. Yeah. So he the, fucked it up. So yeah. The, he messed it up for everybody. Yeah. So this dude, Ben Kirby, uh, a Dallas resident, uh, he began asking questions about the lifestyles of the rich and famous pastors when he was watching some worship songs on YouTube on a Sunday morning in 2019 while listening to a song by Elevation Worship, which I'm sure is awesome. A mega church based in Charlotte, the evangelical church girl noticed the lead singer's Yeezy sneakers were worth nearly the amount of his first rent check. So he posted to his 400 uh, followers. Uh, how much you paying your musicians that they can afford $800 kicks? Let me let me get on the payroll. And so he went on to show that like uh, that uh, some of these pastors, one guy's wearing a $2,500 uh belt 
$1,200 fanny pack. Like, who the hell buys a $1,200 fanny pack? What the hell's wrong with you? Dude? I mean, that ain't shit when you got old boy buying jets. Like, let's yeah, be yeah. real. I mean, yeah. Well, I'm uh, sure they, they're doing that, too, you know. I, I, no, if, no, if we're talking, because you're talking about Yeezys and stuff, I'm thinking that you're probably talking about a black church. Ain't nobody in the hood got jet money. Now, they might get some uh, some Yeezys know, off the uh, building. Have you fund. heard of Clefo Dollar? That dude's a fucking, that dude's like a. Is he in Houston? I don't know. Probably. Who yeah. Knows? Okay. If you're a black pastor in Houston or Atlanta, <laughs> yeah. then you probably got bread. But like yeah. outside of that, like, yeah, you might have some Yeezys. Yeah. You might have a Lincoln Continental, but that's about as far as it goes. Now, you know, you Joel Olstein or whatever, like, yeah, that dude, you got jets. I mean, uh, yeah, we're talking about shoes when there's other cats like flying Lear jets and stuff. Get your priorities straight. Let that man live with his shoes. Let him make bad investments. And let's talk about these cats that are out here pushing jets, tearing up the ozone layer. For Jesus. <laughs> well, uh, this dude, some of these dudes are wearing like $3,600 Gucci belts and shit like that. This is crazy, man. Yeah, they from the hood. That's, I, that's, that's I can't imagine. Even if I got rich, I don't think I'd be spending money on stuff. I'm like so uh, frugal. You yeah, know what I mean? You know like, why? I can't justify that shit. Even like I'm not poor now, but like if I go somewhere, it's like $10 parking. I'm like, hell no. Nah. I'm going to circle back around about 13 times before I pay $10 to park. I'm not You know why? Because shit. you're in your mid to late 30s. All right. Mm-hmm. Now. If you came in, like coming into money right now, you're like, ain't no way I'm paying that. <laughs> but if you'd have came yeah, into yeah, money yeah, at yeah. like 20, yeah, you'd yeah. be like, yo, I'm making, I want diamond clouds everywhere I walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what not? I'm saying? Like yeah. if you, if you come into money later in life, you know the value of it. So we ain't about to spend it stupid, but. Yeah, I think it's just a good illustration of like what a lot of these uh, churches are really, really think is important. You know what I'm saying? Mr. Griffin, you're a baller. What's the most lavish thing you've ever bought? <laughs> The most lavish thing I ever bought was a Jensen Interceptor. What is that? Used, very used, I might the add. The car? But uh, by that time, I fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a James Bond. In the, yeah, really? James Bond type thing. It's all it's all muscle car. It's uh, it's not my style at all. But I saw that thing, and it was on blocks. And I could buy it for dirt cheap. Didn't know if it ran. I took a gamble. I bought it. I had it towed to the, to the shop, and they looked at it, put oil in the in the thing and put gas in it and it ran oh wow it was a hell of a buy yeah all i had to do is replace some chrome strips that were missing put the mirrors back on give it a paint job and i was ready to go <laughs> yeah <laughs> just i want to point out that the most around but you got a lot of tang in that car oh my god <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was a great car you know but you had to go in and you'd say well uh, yeah fill up the oil and check the gas you yeah know? I like that the most lavish <laughs> thing you ever bought was actually very practical. Yeah, like yeah, you got yeah. it out of steel. He said it was on blocks. And <laughs> yeah. shit. He's like, well, I you treated myself to this yeah. car that was beat the hell up and barely ran. But, you know, <laughs> that's smart. Yeah. Uh, final headline. Uh, it, it, it was all good. It wasn't dented. It, oh, that's all. awesome. Hell yeah. That's, that's a steel, man. Yeah, yeah. That's a steel. That's a tang magnet, man. Uh, final headline, TikTokers discovered declassified 1983 CIA report investigating if people can leave their physical bodies to travel through space and time using gateway experiences, low frequency sounds, and relaxation techniques. You hear about this shit? I didn't hear about that, but I've actually been like reading in that, yeah. in that, in that area. I've been mm-hmm. uh, doing some, some studying on that, um, that stuff. That's crazy. So it says the CIA commissioned... An army study of the gateway experience in 1983, the technique uses sounds, tapes, uh, sound tapes to manipulate brain waves with a goal of creating an altered state of consciousness. Practical uses of the technique include manifesting goals, converting energy to heal one's own body 
and even traveling across space and time, per the report. The report was declassified by the CIA in 2003 and largely went unnoticed. Nearly two decades later, the Gateway experience is now receiving renewed attention after uh, Pickwing. I don't know. Never had know how to say this fucking word. Pick Pickwing. Pick. pick. I can't see it, so I don't. <laughs> you looking at me for answers? P-I-Q-U, I can't see what you're reading. Pickwing, pick, pick I don't know. The interest of TikTok users over the past month, dozens of users have recorded videos explaining the gateway phenomenon and sharing their attempts to access it. This is crazy, man. So they got to get some good drugs. Yeah, what it sounds like. It's probably LSD, probably. You know what I'm um, I mean, if they want to see a gateway, I can show them a gateway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, golden shower at the end. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, but yeah, man, that's going to do for hell. I think that's super interesting. I always like it when, uh, a lot, when these, uh, CIA documents are declassified, FBI documents are declassified because there's a lot of interesting things that definitely, um, change the way we perceive history. You know what I'm saying? Like we, there's information about Hitler, you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? And, and whether or not he actually killed himself, and where he went after he was supposedly dead. Griff, do you, I mean, in, in your experience, have you, what's like uh, like one of the biggest declassified CIA or federal documents that, that came to light that, that you can recall? Well, I don't trust them when they say they're declassified. I've learned to be very suspicious that they're, they're pretending to reveal something in order to cover something deeper. And uh, like, when they released all the documents on MK Ultra, for example, it was the, well, that was then. Now we closed all that down. That was bad stuff. We closed it all down. And I knew for a fact that they didn't close it down. They just moved it and changed its name. But by releasing this declassified document, they thought they could whitewash it. And in fact, they did do it uh, for most people. But I would say that would probably be that the MK Ultra program would be about as big as it gets. Of course, DARPA, you know, the Defense Department's. Uh, division that looks into these weird phenomena for possible weaponry. They're spending billions of dollars every year looking at weird mm-hmm. stuff like this. And I don't know. I, I believe that they don't do that because they really expect mm-hmm. to find anything there, but they, they don't want to be left out in case it is there. They've got free money, of course. Anything they want to do, they can get a budget for it. It's national defense, you know. So they have all the money that they want. So they look at everything and uh, I mean, you get into weird stuff, you know, time travel and all of that and uh, and and looking, uh, you know, viewing into the future, looking in the back in the past. They've really spent a lot of time and money on those programs. Have we got the time travel yet? Yeah. I'm going to say in a way we're moving through time right now as we speak. But uh, getting out of sync with everybody else is the big trick, isn't it? Um, So I want to talk a little bit about uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. This was a book that's uh, super iconic. I've I've heard about this book for decades. Uh, people, this was one of the first books that was recommended to me when I began to look into some of the uh, some of the alternative uh, history of our world and our country and everything like that. Can you tell everyone a little bit about this book and what it is and uh, where is Jekyll Island? And you've uh, been there. You've been to Jekyll Island before, and in the actual room where they, you know, when they formed the uh, Federal Reserve, you've been there. Uh, talk about that, too. Like, what was it like being in that place, the actual spot where it happened? Yeah, well, it's a big topic. I know we don't have all day on it, but uh, let's start with the tail end first. Uh, yes, I've been to Jekyll Island numerous times. Uh, in the beginning, I went just to do research to see what it looked like and to see what kind of historic records were 
perhaps at the island in the museum there, and I found quite a bit. That's when I was doing research for the book. I've been back a couple of times since then. There have been events held there, and the last time was just last uh, October when uh, we we ourselves put on a, a very large and and I think a very dramatically successful conference uh, called the Red Pill Expo. So we went back to the scene of the crime, so to speak, and we put the event right there on Jekyll Island. And uh, we had a lot of people coming and enjoying the and learning a lot there. But anyway, that doesn't answer the question, what is this thing and why is it significant? Jekyll Island is a real island. It's off the coast of Georgia. And it was on that island back in 1910 that the Federal Reserve System was conceived. Uh, and it was conceived in a under conditions of great secrecy. A group of six men went to the island there and they pretended that they didn't know anything about it. They wouldn't tell anybody where they were going afterwards for quite a few years. They denied that they ever went. These were the big bankers from New York, uh, the J.P. Morgans and the Rockefellers and their associates. And uh, they got on the private railroad car in um, Hoboken, New Jersey, just you know, across the river there from New York, and it was in November. They got in this train, a private railroad car of um, uh, Senator Aldridge, who was part of that group, and um, and they sort of snuck <laughs> out of town and took a, a trip um, down the coast to um, Brunswick, Georgia. And it was a two night and a day trip. And then they got off the train there. They took a, a ferry boat across the inland straits to Jekyll Island. Now, the significance of all of that is that Jekyll Island in those days was privately owned. And it was owned by these same people that were going there. Well, not all of them, but the group of them. Uh, Jekyll Island was a, a rich man's playground. It was where all the, what we would call the billionaires and trillionaires went to spend the cold winter months, get out of New York and go down into Georgia. And they had built mansions there. And um, there was a, a magnificent clubhouse, which is still standing, by the way, and well-preserved. And that, it's, a, it's a wonderful place to visit. And you can see the lifestyle of the rich and famous back in 1910 and thereabouts. And the reason they went there is to get out of the prying eyes of uh, Washington, D.C., while they crafted and, and literally created all the important details of what became the Federal Reserve System. And they stayed there for about a week. They hammered out all the details, and then they came back to New York and slipped back into the environs of Wall Street and uh, pretended like, oh, what, what's this Jekyll Island thing? I don't know anything about it, you know. It wasn't until years later, after the Federal Reserve was firmly established and became pretty revered by the American people as a great institution, so, somehow as protecting our economy and protecting the American citizens from economic hardship and all that and greatly revered. Only then did they start to talk about, well, yeah, we created it. And then they began to give speeches on it. One, uh, one guy wrote a book on it. There were newspaper reporters that got interviews from these people. And gradually after, primarily after World War One, the, um, the truth came out that these guys went there and they, they, they themselves called it a conspiracy. And they said they went there to form something that they didn't want anybody to know that they were the masterminds behind it. Because you see, at that time, the whole purpose of, in fact, the whole purpose of going to the meeting was to create draft res uh, 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 
legislation, let's say, to solve the banking crisis that was going on right now. At that particular time, there was a great hue and cry to uh, do something about those big bad banks. They're out of control. People are losing their money. Banks are failing. And these people are charging too much interest on money and they get the control of the nation because they control the money. And we've got to have a law to control all of this. So that's when the bankers themselves said, uh-oh, we better write the law. <laughs> we'll write it to our specs and we'll tell everybody that we're doing it for them, you know, against the bankers. And so it should not, must not be known that the bankers themselves were writing the law to control the bankers. And that was the reason for the secrecy. Well, my job was to uh, discover all of that history, document it to make sure I got it right so that there was no distortion, no exaggeration, no underplay, just the way it really happened. And it was it was hard to do because a lot of those documents were still shrouded in mystery. So it was a fascinating story. And, and to wrap all of this up, I came to the conclusion real early on that the story was not so much about banking and interest rates and money. It was a whodunit about how a group of small, very powerful people, bankers primarily, but also their political partners, decided they were going to create a mechanism to literally take over the federal government of the United States without anybody knowing that they would now be the controllers, that they would now be able to buy up congressmen and senators. And while the congressmen and senators would be on the on the front, they would be the showpiece. The, oh, those are the people that are running our government. We voted for them. What they didn't know is that those guys were already paid for before they even got on the ballot. And so that was the secret that they had to conceal is that from this date forward, uh, the mechanism was in place whereby the banking institutions could now actually become the masters of the federal government of the United States. So that's the story I discovered. When they went and they drafted these papers and, you know, decided that they were going to create regulations for themselves. Was that always the design that they would be able to control politicians or was that a byproduct that they discovered after the creation of the Fed? I believe that's primarily a byproduct that they discovered as how easy it was. They were surprised. They expected more opposition than they got. They were prepared to back off on some issues. The old, the old idea of aim high so that when you come down to your, to the point where you actually wanted to be in the first place, it mm -hmm. looks like you made a compromise. So they were aiming high, expecting to get something about half of that. And to their amazement, they got everything they asked for. Hmm. And I think probably within the decade or so afterward, they began to realize, hey, guys, we got something really, really hot here. Uh, this is this has got bigger, bigger visions for us than just making a lot of money. It's bigger than just being super, super billionaires and controlling the interest rates and uh, and the uh, corporations that need to borrow money and we can get get involved in the dividends on these corporations, have inside information and all of that, which I'm sure was the initial uh, motivation. They realized that, hey, we own the government now. Let's let's raise our sights. And it was at that point that they began, I think, to think more, more. They had visions originally, but more they began to think about world domination and not just uh, U.S. domination. So do you think, uh, like, are we at a point now where where there's no getting away from the Fed or like, like at this point, is there, is there a way to kind of rein that power back in or is it, it is what it is now and we just kind of got to deal with it? Well, it's, it's hard for me to say because I don't really know the answer to that, but okay. my gut, 
my gut tells me that uh, we have to do it. Otherwise, uh, we might just as well go jump off the Empire State Building because we're through. We're sunk as free human beings. We're slaves. And if we don't want to live under those conditions, we the answer has to be no. Uh, we will be able to turn this around. But I guess the best analogy I could make is if you were, if you had a, a cocaine addiction, a, a great, really deep into it. Sure. Somebody says, is it too late? Can you turn around or not? And uh, the answer is, well, you can turn around, you can get out of it, but you're going to pay one hell of a price as you come out. Uh, I guess for like the layman, for people who like are just now hearing about this story um, or, or have been in the dark about this, uh, like, can you just speak to what it means, like the, the way the system is set up now, how are we enslaved and, and what, what, what bad or what negative influences does this system actually have on us as uh, citizens of the United States or of the world? Well, off the top of my head, I think the best way to, to summarize it is say there are two two areas. First of all, the way these fellows work the economic system, the banking system, is that it's constantly devaluating the purchasing power of the dollar, which means uh, even though our income is going up every year, we get more dollars, but every year we, we can buy less in terms of goods and services with our increased number of dollars. And so the the quality of living or the lifestyle uh, you know, is 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 decreasing drastically. America now is approaching the uh, the quality of lifestyle for its average citizens, not the super wealthy, but for the average citizens, getting lowered. We're approaching the point of some third world countries now. I mean, we've got things in America we could never even dream of when I was a boy. I mean, all these tent cities, all these. I drove past one on the way to the studio. Yep, I drove past a big one. Yeah. It's just impossible to, we wouldn't have believed that was even conceivable if anybody had told us that was what was going to happen. And that's all because of, mainly because of economic policy. And of course, there are other things involved. It's expectations. Kids come out of school with the expectations that they don't have to work anymore. The government's going to take care of them and all that's part of it as well. But it, and the point is though, that even those who do have the old American tradition of work hard, save, be a good citizen, be productive and don't ask for things that you can take care of yourself, you know, be independent, all these good traits that are, that made America. I believe they were the traits that made America great. Those have been washed away. But even those that still have that those instincts are finding it's it, almost impossible to do or to enjoy the American dream, as they used to call it. So that's the one thing. And that is traced directly to the economic policies of this cartel called the Federal Reserve System. They're just milking all of the productivity out of the population to put into their pockets and for their purposes. And the other thing, though, is even... I wouldn't say more dangerous or horrendous. I'll just say as dangerous and horrendous is the fact that the Federal Reserve and all these central banks around the world are the mechanisms whereby tyrannical governments can do as they please. Governments used to have to collect taxes from their people. And when the taxes got too high, usually around 40% of the total productivity, there was a tax rebellion. And the, and the government had to tighten its belt or get, get overthrown. It was always sort of a natural pushback against uh, how much money governments could spend. Well, now with the new system in place, the governments can spend any amount they want because they turn to their brothers at the Federal Reserve and say, we needed $100 trillion today. And the Fed says, well, that's kind of steep. Don't you think we should spread it out over a few days? No, we need it today. I'm exaggerating, of course. Yeah. But 
uh, they say, okay, well, you got it. And so they just create money out of nothing. That's the way the system now works. And a little more complicated than that, but that basically that's it. They create the money and the it's all based on debt. They just have to loan it to somebody and then forgive the loan later on. There's a lot of tricks hmm. involved, smoke and mirrors. But basically there's no limitation now as to what the governments, which are, don't forget the governments are the puppets of the banking right. system now. It's not, the, the, the power has tilted the, just the opposite of what most people think. And uh, so they create this money out of nothing. And these governments, which are the fronts for the financial institutions, are becoming totally tyrannical. They want you and, and me to be slaves. I mean, literally, they want us in line. They want us living in, in slave quarters. They want to provide us homes and shelter and food. You know, Cloud, uh, Klaus Schwab says that the... Uh, uh, World Economic Forum, he's predicting the future for the next five or 10 years. He says, you will have no property and you will be happy. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> That's just how he said it. Yeah. This is where we're headed. And, and so this is slavery, folks. And we're and it's hard for us in America. Oh, my God, we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. We got the best standard of living in the world. That's history. Mm -hmm. It's been whittled away, whittled away and whittled away. And now it's falling in big chunks as we speak. And um, so this is, to me, the other side of the picture that not only is because we're being deprived of the wealth that we have generated from our own labor, but uh, we have allowed a mechanism to create the financial mechanism by which governments can become totally tyrannies. They're tyrannies. And they couldn't do it unless they could get all the money they needed just by the Federal Reserve type of mechanism. If they had to get it from taxes, there would be a revolt and there would be a limitation. So you could go further than that, but I think they get the idea that this is pretty darn serious. What role does cryptocurrency play in that, in, in their in their plan and with the Fed? Well, the Fed and all the major governments of the world have been dreaming about a cashless society for as long as I can remember. It's been their goal and they didn't know how to do it. And then cryptocurrencies came along and all of a sudden there was the answer. This is how you can have a cashless society. The idea of cryptocurrencies has been sold to most people as a way of obtaining uh, anonymity, privacy, uh, a way of uh, avoiding taxation, a way of limiting government, take the power away from government so they, they can't control the money. And that's how it was sold. And a lot of people still think that's what it's all about. But when you really look at its origin and the fact that all of the governments and all of the great banks of the world are feverishly working to develop cryptocurrency systems, you put two and two together, you realize these guys can hardly wait to install the cryptocurrency system in replacement of the traditional uh, currency system. And the reason for that is pretty obvious is because you can, uh, you can escape tyranny uh, if you have money. I mean, you can buy your way here and there. You can mm -hmm. buy... You can buy favors. You can uh, you can bribe politicians. You can bribe guards. You know things like that. You get money or something like equivalent. Uh, you can buy food. You can live by yourself. You know I don't need any of these people. And you can buy your house and pay your taxes. Even if you've got money, you can sort of be independent. But if all of a sudden your money is electronic, and the system says we don't like you, you're you're a you're a pain in the nut. You know you're you're, you're a bad person. You are. Uh, uh, we got to get you out of business. Now, in the old days, they would probably just come and take you away and shoot you or make you disappear. But now they just cut off your, your wallet. All of a sudden, your credit card doesn't work and you don't have money in your pocket. Mm -hmm. You've got this credit card or a chip in your hand or something on your forehead. Mm -hmm. It's all digital. And you go to try and 
and buy a loaf of bread. Uh, sorry, your card does not work. Um, next, yeah. you try to get on a plane or or buy some gasoline for your car or pay your rent or anything. I, I'm sorry, your card doesn't work, sir. Mm-hmm. Next, please. You know, you're through. It's the ultimate control. The Chinese have developed that very well now, and they call it social credit system. And this is where we're headed. So this is possible because of cryptocurrencies. That's crazy. Did you say you never saw enemy of the state? I don't, I think I did, but I, it's been a while. It just reminds me of that, uh, yeah. where, you know, Will Smith's character, they cut him off and, you know, he was a lawyer or whatever, but they cut off all of his stuff and his wife is calling him. I tried to go get groceries and, you yeah, know, yeah. and they cut off all of his cards and, you know, he's like, well, if you have any cash, then you got to use that. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, just like that. They didn't like him and boom, it's There's gone. There's a Black Mirror episode about that, man, about like the social yeah, credit that. system and everything, which is crazy. And we're starting to see that more and more, like G said, we're starting to see that more and more. And I think uh, with COVID and everything like that, it, they're using this to usher in a lot of the things that um, G was just talking about. I think COVID did like speed up the process a little bit on this stuff. Definitely. It definitely has. And you think so, G? Oh, absolutely. That And that's its primary purpose, I believe. I, mm-hmm. I for one, don't think there's any uh, any validity to the science behind the uh, pandemic. I personally, everything I see points uh, to the great deception is that uh, whatever it is that's killing people, it's probably just the, the latest strain of the flu. Every mm-hmm. year, the flu, um, you know, mutates into a new strain. They give it another name. Yep. And the same number of people die from it every year. It's a small number percentage-wise, but they're deaths, and that's serious. And when you look at the number of total deaths uh, from the flu this year, there, there are no flu deaths. There's none. Uh, yeah, there, I, I saw, none. I read none. the other day in our local <laughs> paper that there were uh, two, I think, dude, it was some, It was like something unbelievable, like 20 cases of the flu in Travis yeah. County, yeah. which is a large yeah, county. Yeah. I mean, millions of people in this county, 20. And it's yeah. like, dude, I don't know. It just cracks me up. It like, doesn't add up. That doesn't, it yeah, doesn't add it, up. And so they say that like, oh, social distancing and masks are the reason for that. Well, then why is no. the COVID then so prevalent? Oh, it's because the COVID's way more, it's, it's way more aggressive. It's way easier to transmit and everything. I just think that's bullshit. Uh, it's I think a the lie. Re, yeah, it's the a re-blend, big, rebranding. Lie. Yeah. yeah. I, and, yeah, and it's, it's because they want to keep everybody afraid. It, mm-hmm. When you're living in fear, you don't ask yep. too many questions. Yep. You just turn to the, a lot of people, turn to the government. Yeah, oh, the government save us. We'll do whatever you tell us to do because mm-hmm. we want grandma to live and we don't want our children to die and so forth. It's fear. It blocks out the brain. And so all you got to do is convince people that something is true. It doesn't have to be true. It's the perception. Mm-hmm. And I, I discovered this back in the day of when um, this thing about the pandemic, back in the day when uh, AIDS was the big scare. I don't know if you can put your mind back there, but everybody was scared to death that AIDS was going to decimate America and uh, every, you know, half the people were going to die within the next year. And we had to do something about stopping this virus, this mystery virus, HIV and AIDS and all that stuff. And I'm, and I became uh, suspicious because I didn't know anybody who had AIDS. And then the ones that I did know that they were usually the guys in the gay community that were, had their heads deep in a, in a, a, a bottle of drugs all the time mm-hmm. and they were destroying their immune systems. And I, I could see that. And I thought, you know, anybody that does that is going to get these symptoms that they now call AIDS. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. And now that I know that it was a good guess on my part. And uh, a year later I was looking at the uh, death certificates out of Africa 
Now, they all told us here in America, well, we were lucky. We got the AIDS didn't hit us here in America like we thought it might, but it's wiping out Africa. Mm -hmm. Every day you see headlines about, oh, another 100,000 people died of AIDS in Africa, another 200,000. And at this rate, I thought, oh, my gosh, there's poor people in Africa. Another another year and it's going to be empty. There'll be no people over there. So then a year later, I'm looking at these statistics. I, I don't know why, but I came across them. They came from the World Health Organization. And I'm looking at all the total deaths for the previous years, you know, and I'm looking, here came the, the, the current year and there was a big spike for HIV. And oh my God, this is a spike, millions of people. And, and then I get over to the last column and it's a, it's a number of total deaths for all causes in that country and those countries for that year. And the total deaths from all causes was the same as Mm -hmm. the previous year Mm -hmm. and the year before that. Mm -hmm. And yet there was this huge spike for AIDS deaths. And I looked at some of the other diseases and they were all negative spikes. There were no other diseases. Everything was being relabeled as AIDS. And I could see that. And I thought, oh, oh, this is the biggest scam of all. Every every time I tried to explain this to somebody, it looked at me like it was some kind of a nutcase. Yeah. Oh, that's not so. Yeah. I mean, the World Health Organization is telling us that people are dying of AIDS. And and so is the AMA. And so is my congressman and my senator. And so is CBS and NBC. You know, I, I'm the nutcase, yeah, yeah. they said. <laughs> yeah. What a lot of here, I was gonna say what yeah, a, what yeah. a lot of people don't understand is that some of, a lot of those organizations are funded and ran by the Rockefellers. Like the Rockefellers have pretty much co opted most universities, public universities, uh, major universities. Oh, you mean the same ones that started the Fed? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the right? same ones running the government. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I'm sure Gene knows a little bit more about this, but they they basically have co-opted science in a way, right? Like a lot of these uh, scientific communities, they don't get funding. They don't exist without the Rockefellers. And so um, they can, you know, they, they're in their pocket. They can literally, they're going to say what the hell they tell them to. The Rockefellers correct. and Dolly Parton. Yeah, definitely Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. She's, <laughs> she's definitely up there. <laughs> yeah. It's all about influence, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And of course, in the, in the later uh, decade, uh, Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation have, have played the Rockefeller theme pretty well. Uh, they just buy their way into all of these uh, um, government agencies and non-governmental agencies. And Gates has spent billions and billions of dollars donating them in the interest of health, donating them to all the, to the health uh, departments of the different governments. And, and so they get all this money coming from Gates. And when Gates says, well, by the way, it would be, uh, this is what we would like to see in the way of um, uh, death rates or something like that. Mm-hmm. They get what they ask for. Yeah. And, uh, and then the Gates, I mean, Gates, yeah, even on an interview recently I saw he's, he was talking about what a wonderful field to be in from an investment perspective in the Jesus, vaccine dude. business. God damn. He says for every, uh, for every million dollars that we spend in, in the vaccine industry to develop it, uh, we get, I think the number was 10 million back. Jesus. Or, or the 10 to one ratio. Yeah. So they can spend a lot of money buying up these um, health institutions and the World Health Organization and the CDC. They're all beholden to the people that give money to them. Mm-hmm. That's the, and so they do. For every billion dollars they give away, they make ten billion dollars by getting vaccines pushed in everybody on the planet at and no competitive rates. I mean, you can imagine they're probably making a, a hundred dollars per vaccine that everybody gets, and the government's paying for that. That means the taxpayers are paying for yep. it. And so it's a hell of a business model. Mm-hmm. No, it really is. That's why, uh, like, uh, I find incredibly interesting. I feel like. <clears throat> 
at like at the at minimum at at the very minimum they're using this as a way to uh to make money from everyone getting vaccinated and more sinister look at it is that there are you know possibly mood altering uh health altering uh components to the vaccine that uh we're going to see like some major health problems some major health crisis in the next 10 to 20 years or what have you and they can also go back and blame that on COVID. Oh, we found out that COVID causes like causes cancer ten years later or something like that. When it's really the vaccine that does it. So I feel like, first of all, I just don't trust anything the government says, man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know for a fact if like you know COVID is real or not. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say it's not that it's all bullshit. That this is just a rebranding of the flu, like G said. And at the very minimum, they're 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 doing this to, to make you know a shit ton of money from everyone getting vaccinated from healthy people getting vaccinated which cracks me cracks me up it's like um and that's another thing that you kind of alluded to there that they're ignoring science you know saying we we found out that 80 percent of people that die from covid are obese or overweight or have uh, a number of comorbidities uh as well and that stuff just no one talks about that and that's what kind of like kind of open my eyes to the whole the, 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 to make it make it seem to me like it's a scam is because they're not talking about that they're not talking about how important vitamin d is and fighting covid and everything um being outside exercise all these things and so uh, a, a organization a group of people government you know the the governmental science and everything like that that says they care about your health when they never have before. I find that like incredibly. Well, they suspect. care about your health when it means you can get your ass back to work and yeah, make some yeah, money. Yeah, that's exactly they right. They care about your health. That's yeah. why everybody need to get vaccinated so you can get your asses out of your house, back <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. office. Yeah. Daddy needs some new pair of shoes. I need yeah, you to get yeah, in this yeah. office and, and do some work. We need profits. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I feel like at the very. At, at They're going to look out for our well-being if it means it makes money for them. But yeah. until until their bottom line is affected, they don't give yeah. a fuck about your health. Mm-hmm. They don't give a fuck about your family. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they start seeing dividends go down, Duh. hey, y'all need to take this pill. Yeah. As you see with like Amazon and stuff like that, they're making uh, workers pissing bottles and shit like that. Like, dog, you can't even get them a bathroom break. Like, Jesus, <laughs> maybe just get some robots, dude. You know what I'm saying? FedEx drivers been peeing in bottles for the past 15, 20. Yes, man. That's fucked up. Yes, man. man. You, that's, I can't tell you how many times I got in a FedEx truck and there's like, I oh, was that's like, foul. dude, get this bottle of piss out the way. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Like, it's yeah. That's foul. Yeah. Um, but uh, gee, so in 1910 was when the meeting at Jekyll Island occurred, and then what happened in 1913 to uh to kind of set this plan in motion that they, that they uh concocted there? Well. Between 1910 and 1913 was the incubation period where after these guys created the plan, they had to sell it. They had to create political acceptance of it. So it was a three-year process. And they had to develop, um, they had to to convince all of the guys who would be voting for it that it was a good thing to vote for. They did a lot of lobbying. They did a lot of of, uh, deal-making. They did a lot of uh, propaganda to create public uh, demand for this kind of reform. You know, we gotta, we gotta put these bankers in their place. Mm. You know, we've got to put an end to all of this uh, chicanery in the banking industry. So they, you know, they convinced, they convinced the, the voters pr- primarily, and to a large extent, they convinced a lot of the congressmen and senators that this legislation would actually do that. I mean, these guys didn't know anything about banking or economics. I mean, they're politicians for gosh sake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, 
let's face it, even then, not so much then as now, but even then, to be a successful politician, the first thing you had to do was go to um, con artist school. Oh, yeah. You, know? you had to be, a, yeah, because you have to learn how to tell the people what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. So you can get voted. You don't have to believe any of that stuff. You just have to be a good actor and say, oh, this is what people want me to, to say and how they want me to act. And they want me to always have a copy of the Constitution in my hand. They want me to talk a lot about defending the Constitution. And they won't bother to notice how I vote. Yep. That's very true. Yeah, that's very true. So, yeah. Yeah. So and anyway, so they had to say, had to sell the idea and there were deals made too. I think it was uh, uh, William Jennings Bryan, who was one of the big opponents of the thing. They kind of, they did a shrewd thing. They promised him to be, they make him secretary of state and they give him all kinds of deals, you know, if he would just uh, mm-hmm. get rid of his opposition. And they promised him, they said, now look, we, we think you're concerned about the fact that you're giving too much power to the banks to create money. Uh, we agree that that's probably a good thing we should back off on. And if you will support our bill, we will put in a provision in the bill that will greatly limit the ability of the banks to do that. We we listen to you, Mr. Bryan, and we're going to honor you. And if you will support us, we will give you what you want. And he said, hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, all right. That's what he did. <laughs> so they put, they put the provision in the bill. Meanwhile, uh, Paul Warburg, who was one of the chief architects of the bill, was telling all of his friends in the banking industry, that, hey, relax, guys. They were saying, hey, Paul, what are you doing? You're putting this provision in the bill so we can't do what we want to do. He said, guys, wake up, relax, back off. That's what. That's how we get the bill in the door. Next year, after it's passed, we'll get rid of that clause. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did. The Federal Reserve was the bill was was amended over a hundred times since it was wow. put into law and to the point where it's hardly recognizable mm-hmm. today as to what it was then. And it was part of the plan all along. Tell the people what they want to hear. And then after, after they let you have, have your foot in the door, then they'll stop watching you and you piece by piece, you reach rearrange everything until right, 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 so, what you wanted. And more, the more things uh, change, the more they stay the same because we see that, and so many different avenues with so many different bills and so many different uh, wars and everything like that, even with COVID, you know, oh, it's just just two weeks to flatten the curve. And what happened to that? That shit's mm-hmm. out the window. You know what I'm saying? It's been a year now. Yeah. They're not even mentioning that shit anymore. If you brought it up, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, well, this, this and that bullshit. The, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, practical. Yeah, 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 that, yeah. But they do this just to get their foot in the door. You know, you give them an inch and then they take a mile. And so that's that's literally the blueprint for all of this for like this takeover that has occurred over the last, you know, you know, several hundred years, but specific, uh, especially over the last hundred years since, you know, 1910, 1913 and everything when this stuff became enacted. Uh, as you were saying that it, like your question popped in my head, like, do you think that there's any correlation between the, uh, the institution of the fed, like it being started in 1910, 1913 and, uh, and the red summer, uh, 1919, where we saw, you know, the decimation of Black Wall Street, the uh, destruction of uh, black wealth in communities across uh, the country where they were creating their own uh, economies that did not include Wall Street and, and, and the Fed. Like, do you think that there's a correlation between the two? Well, I, I have to admit, I, I know very little about that history. So whatever my opinion is, it should be labeled entirely as opinion. But I, I'll follow up by saying that is the pattern. That is the strategy that I know that they use. They, um, uh, I, I don't believe that in 
Well, in fact, one of the few things I do, that I agree with um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt on <laughs> is his statement. He says, in politics, there are no coincidences. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so true. Thought, okay. Okay, Franklin, you got it right on that right, one. Right, right. So that's that's my mindset. Now, there probably are, let's face it, there have to be a few coincidences. But when you look at our political history, there are so many things like that. I mean, it's just wall-to-wall, endless. And they're certainly not all coincidences. And when you realize that these people that we're talking about do have a plan, they have an agenda. It's not just that they go to work every morning and say, well, I wonder what we can do today that's going to serve America. No, they have a plan and it doesn't involve America. It involves their their agendas, their institutions, and their friends. So, um, even though I don't know the answer specifically to that question, I would be willing to bet the farm that that is exactly there is a co- uh, correlation. Between I just uh, yeah, as you were talking, I just I just saw like dots connecting, lines connecting, yeah. where it's like here's a community of people who have like you know uh, figured got their own community, their own money, they're spending well, it within a, their own community. Like you know, I think it was like uh, in 1919, 1918, a uh, dollar in the black community changed hands seven times before it left the black community. Oh wow! Whereas you know other places, it was like two times and it was out of the community. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, how do you, how do you rein that in so that you can keep making money off of these people where mm-hmm. they, you know, they're doing it on their own. Fuck that. We got to break it down mm-hmm. and then Exploit bring them, them back to our stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't, th- uh, I just, it just seems like that adds another layer than just, Hey, we don't want black people having their own stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that adds another layer of context to it that, you know, there was an actual, uh, banking, there was a financial means behind there you know yeah. you got your own wall street fuck that it's on fire now yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah, man. I, I i have to agree with that I, I i don't like these guys very much as you can tell but i've never <laughs> detected any any overt racism there i mean they don't like they don't want anybody to be outside they don't like control. everybody yeah right yeah. <laughs> that's they, the thing they want everybody in their control they don't care what skin yeah. color it is yeah i think uh that's, that's we it talk- was a control thing not a race thing it's yeah, about being yeah. in control of this population. you can't yeah, have your own shit yeah. i gotta be you, not without daddy getting a cut yeah 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 that's exactly right Chip tax right. yeah everyone thinks like slavery ended it's like no it just it just uh was made to encompass everyone yeah it expanded you know? yeah it expanded they're like oh okay yeah you know, we'll, we'll stop doing it to black people but we're gonna do it to everyone else at the same time here's a visa card yeah now we're gonna do it to everyone and shit and so, yeah, we see that. Um, gee, what do you think uh, is, is some of their uh, motives and, or, and goals with uh, COVID and everything like that? Because I will admit this. I'll say this. Uh, I definitely saw something like with with uh, reading, you know, authors like yourself and documentaries that I've uh, immersed myself in over the last 10 to 15 years. I definitely saw an event like this happening, but I honestly did not anticipate this happening for several decades. I thought I'd be, you know, in my 50s or 60s by the time we saw something this crazy and this all-encompassing that it that encompasses the entire world. Um, so I definitely am, I, I guess, impressed, for lack of a better word, of how they were able to pull all this off. Um, but what do you think some of their end, go- their end game is with, uh, with COVID? Or, I mean, are they using COVID to accomplish their end game? And if so, what, what, what are some of the things that you think we're going to see come from this? Well, yes, again, this is clear to me. I mean, a lot of people would disagree with me, of course. Uh, did I, did we lose the connection? Oh, there no, we're at. No. I thought we lost it. <laughs> yeah, it's clear to me, although a lot of people would um, disagree with me on, on that fact. But uh, the COVID is a manufactured crisis pri- primarily. And this is not to say that people aren't dying from something, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not 
something new. I mean, it's not any different than every year we get a different strain of the flu. That's my conviction. And everything I learn at dailies points to that direction and supports that conclusion. So if that, if that is correct, then why would, why would that be? Why would they, somebody be doing that? Why do they want to scare the heck out of everybody and regiment them? And why do they want to destroy the economy, keep people from going to work, closing down businesses? Why? Well, because the, you have to go back a little bit in history. This group of people we're talking to, it's kind of hard to describe who they are, but I just call them collectivists. They believe in this ideology of collectivism. That means that the group is more important than the individual and that the individual must be sacrificed for the greater good of the greater number. And the motive behind that is not just because that's the greater society to have because it's more fair and all that. It's because when you have that kind of a society, then you have a control mechanism from the top down where people have no freedom at all because they can say, you, you want to do what you want to do. You want to be free, but that's not serving the society that you live in. You have to be regimented for the benefit of everybody. Otherwise you're selfish, you see. And now somebody has to administer that system. Now you've got a control mechanism. You've got bureaucracy. And you've got at the top of it, usually in the past, you've always had some strong man that said, I speak for the majority. I speak for the people. We've got a communist revolution, a socialist revolution, a Nazi revolution, a fascist revolution. And we have this Nazi party, communist party, a fascist party, or some kind of a party. And it rules over the people for their own good. You see, okay, that's how it all has been in the past. Now, this technocracy thing is emerging that they've been talking about for years, but it's come to the point now in our lifetime where it's moving so quickly that people can become subservient, not to the strong man, but to the idea of science. There'll be faceless, uh, pretty faceless bureaucrats who wear white coats and, and, and they'll, they'll be called scientists and they'll dream up these concoctions like, like, pandemics. They'll dream them up mm-hmm. and the media will pro- project the image and everybody says, oh my gosh, there's, there's a, there's, there's a, oh my gosh, a pandemic and we're all going to die. And so now it's not so much that people are following their leaders, but they're following their scientific experts now, but the game is still the same. They have to obey and do what they're told because it's for the good of society. If you, if you want to be free and you violate the rules of society, you're endangering your fellow human beings. It's the argument is the same, except, except that now it's not so much the strong man on the white horse, but it's the, it's the wise um, scientist in his laboratory that's become the authority figure. Other than that, the, the game is still going on played exactly the same yeah i couldn't agree more man i i just don't for for um for a government that allows so much pollution and and uh has not done anything to improve air quality quality of life um getting gmos and poison out of people's food for them to come out and say like oh we care about you this is why we're doing all this shit i just find that incredibly suspect man i don't i don't believe that shit you know, like they've spent their, they don't give a shit about anything else. But now all of a sudden, like, you know, like for example, um, this is a great example. Uh, there was a few, this was when I first moved to Austin. It's probably, you know, 10 or 11 years ago. I read in the paper about how, uh, there was going to, they were trying to develop a, a, a high speed rail system that would connect Dallas to Austin, to San Antonio, to Houston. Mm-hmm. And it was going to cost like $7 and you could get from Dallas to Houston in like like 40 minutes. We're still waiting. Yeah, yeah. Years. And so the biggest proponents of that 
excuse me, the biggest opponents of that uh, system were airline companies, of course, uh, gas and oil companies mm-hmm. and everything, because you're going to lose all kinds of money. But think about how many people die. I mean, we, we've got billboards, uh, electronic billboards here in Austin that every day it's updated. Uh, 5,000 deaths on Texas roads this year, you know, 7,000 by the end of the year, you know, it's, uh, it's in the tens of thousands and everything like that. Think about how many people are dying from that. Not to mention how many people are dying from uh, pollution uh, cause, that causes cancer, a, a myriad of uh, health effects and everything like that, that this could help solve. And so we, we don't uh, advance as a, as a society because they want to keep their stranglehold on the power, on the way the, uh, how they, uh, uh, how people travel all the money that is spent on that, you know what I'm saying? We're talking about uh, oil and gas companies. We're talking about car manufacturers. We're talking about uh, uh, airlines and everything like that. Right. If it was really about the people, then yeah, yeah. then here's something that will, one, help the environment, yeah. two, help uh, people out with a with a speed line or yeah, whatever yeah. whatever they call it. Affordable, way affordable. Because, you know, yeah, to, but you it's can't, not about the people. Yeah, to, never to drive from Dallas to Houston, I mean, in like an SUV, it's going to cost you like, over a hundred dollars, you nah. know what I'm saying? Probably, I don't know, dog. Uh, one way, no, to Dallas, yeah, one way, one way, about 40 bucks. I don't know about fill that. Up. Yeah, you only got to fill up one time. Okay. Well, okay, yeah, so back and forth, but still, but still, seven dollars, yeah, 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 seven dollars to go from there. And you get to just like chill, just like hang out, read a book or something like that. You're not, and there's one less car on the road, yeah, there's well, less emissions, yeah, that's yeah. less opportunities for you for know, an death, accident, all this stuff, and so less time. Pinned up in a car with your kids, yeah. throwing stuff in the back. None mm-hmm. of that. Are we there yet? I mean, so this could potentially save like tens of thousands of lives a year just in Texas. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I feel like if if they really, truly cared about people, then their track record would be a little bit better than uh, them just not giving a shit whatsoever about anyone. There's so many avenues for them to help people, and they have completely ignored it. The, we we have so much information that, that illustrates that um, – the less money people make, the less healthy they are, all these different things, their mental health, all this shit. And they don't, they don't give a shit. They have not addressed that whatsoever. But now all of a sudden you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything because they care about you. I don't believe that shit. You like, you want to say something, G, what you got? Well, there's an interesting philosophy behind all of that. And that is that uh, we mentioned it before that the, on the political side, the politicians, they, they tell you what you want to hear. And they could tell you, if we do this, mm-hmm. and we're going to take road, uh, cars off the road, we're going to save lives, we're going to save you money. And they'll say, oh, he's a nice guy. He's, he really cares about me. And it sounds as though he does, but these these things never turn out, do they? You vote for these guys, and they get all the money, and they spend it, and they, they dig some holes in the ground, and they pour some cement, whatever. But it never turns out quite the way they proposed it. And, and somebody's uh, brother-in-law makes a hell of a lot of money on the construction contracts. It's another thing, yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, anybody that believes authority on at face value has not grown up. They don't understand <laughs> the, they don't understand human nature. They don't understand the modern world in which we live. And, and you don't, and it's not only the modern world. I remember going, when I was doing research for the book on a creature from Jekyll Island, I came across a group called the Fabian Socialist Society called the Fabian Society for most people. You've never heard of it. It's, it's, it's still in existence in um, the UK. It's a very powerful group. It's not in, in the news, but it's a powerful group, much like our own Council on Foreign Relations in America, which is the group that really runs America. And anyway, the Fabian Society uh, was all about uh, making the world socialist. They, they called it socialism. 
And, uh, but it's really, as I mentioned before, collectivism is the real name and socialism is one of the variants of it. And uh, they admired the communists and the fascists and the Nazis because they're all just variants of collectivism. And, uh, and they got along well with each other, although sometimes they have big arguments and they, oh, we don't agree with you on that night splinter, but the basic foundation of, of the ideology they are all agreeing on. And the reason I mention it is the Fabian Society, which uh, boasts of its members being very high ranking people in the British government for decades, they're all members of the Fabian Society, Socialist Society. And they had a stained glass window on the and the, um, I can't think of the name of the, the Webb House. It was, uh, uh, the house was owned by Cecil and Beatrice Webb, who were members, very wealthy people. And they donated their mansion to be the headquarters of the Socialist Society, Fabian Socialist Society. And they had a, a, a stained glass window in that house. And I'd, I'd seen a drawing of it. Later on, they actually found it in somebody's warehouse and there it was. And they took a picture of it. And so now it's, you can see it in the real thing and in color. And the point of all of this is it was sort of a uh, an emblem of everything that the Fabian Society practiced and believed in. It was how, how to take over the world without war, to take it over peacefully mm-hmm. from the inside by infiltrating organizations and just gradually erode all of the old order into the new order. And that was what the Fabians are all about. And it was named after General Fabian, who's famous in uh, ancient times for delaying tactics and, and not engaging the enemy full on, to wear the enemy down, to win by slow, patient gradualism, was the, is the strategy that Fabian, General Fabian was famous for, which is why they chose him as the name of their society. Mm. And I I digress for a minute, but you got to hear this. This is rich information from history now. This is not just today. This goes back a hundred years. And part of their glass window is the, is a wolf wearing a sheep's. Yeah, (laughs) sheep's clothes. So that's where we get that. Yeah. Okay. A a wolf in sheep's clothing, you see. And so they're, they're boasting this. We talk about peace. We talk about benefits, but we're really wolves. We're going to devour. We're, Mm -hmm. we're serious, aggressive creatures here underneath. But now I'm finally coming to the, to the center of this. There's a, uh, rendition of the earth on a, on a um, pedestal, an anvil. It's an a anvil. And here are two of the members of the Fabian Society dressed in um, medieval clothing. And they've got hammers. And they are striking the earth with the hammers. Okay? Striking the earth. There's, okay? And so what is that all about? And then the, the bottom of it is that famous line from Omar Khayyam. I'm going to murder it now, but it, it's something like, uh, uh, Dearest love, if thou and I would conspire, would we not grasp this thing entire and um, shatter it to bits and then remold it closer to the heart's desire? Like, that's pretty close to what it was. But the theme was... Oh, wow. 
they're shattering yeah, yeah. the earth to bits so they could remold it to what they want. Now, there you have the core idea of all of these groups. They're not there to help you and me or improve society. They're there to destroy the existing system, to, to create crisis so that people are desperate. Now, there's no question about the old order or constitutional rights or civil liberties or the old system of justice or anything. Yeah, religion, none of that is out. Everything is shattered. People are starving. They're killing each other. Their houses are burning down. The floods are here. The virus is here. The enemy is here. The, 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 uh, the terrorists are here. The, the atmosphere is being destroyed by global warming. I mean, it's shattering it to bits. Now they can remold it to closer to their heart's desire, which is collectivism. Once you understand that, you understand the basic strategy that's being used everywhere you look to destroy society so that the only thing left is this collective beehive that they're trying to build. So where do we go from here? Like, well, I mean, now that we know all this and I mean, we've, we know this stuff is out there, but like going forward, like what are things that we can do to try to ensure that, um, that there is a, that there is a society for our children and our children's children? Like, uh, it's one thing to educate yourself, but I mean, it's one thing to point out problems, but what are the solutions? Like, uh, how do we circumvent this? How do we survive this? How do we maintain and move forward? That's, uh, I've been really devoting my last, uh, the last decade of my life, maybe more on that issue because I got to the point where I realized, okay, the, I still have a lot to learn, but I, I know enough about what's going on to realize that we are in big doo-doo and we better do something about it mm -hmm. quick. So I, I shifted my gears to that issue that you've just described. What do we do about it? How do we awaken the sleeping masses to understand? And that's the first step, because you can do nothing without support of your fellow human beings, even though they're not crusaders, even though they're not going to be out there in the trenches with you. If you if you have them working against you, if you have your neighbor saying, oh, that guy, he's he's. Uh, He's threatening my life by wearing, by not wearing a mask. You know, if you've got your friends and your neighbors not understanding what's going on, they'll stand by and smile as you get put up against the wall and are shot. Yeah. They'll say, oh, man, he had it coming, you know, or whatever it is. So the first step is to is to create this awareness of, uh, among a broad segment of the population. I'm glad to say that this is happening right now because of Guys like you and your, your program and a lot of other alternative media outlets are growing like mushrooms coming up out of the ground after a good rain. And so that's on its way. And of course, it's uh, being met with a lot of opposition. But I think on that level, we are actually gaining in strength by developing independent means of communication and spreading the truth against all opposition. But then the next step is to take to take that and develop a hardcore small group of people. And I, by small, I mean very small. We don't have to, we don't have to mobilize 51% of the population to launch a counterattack or resistance to, against this force. All of history has been written by less than 1% of the population who got dedicated and organized and did something about it, while the other 99% were looking around saying, well, gee, I wonder what's going on. Um, and not quite that mm -hmm. simple. Uh, my analysis is that 1% of the thought leaders, then they gather around them another 2%, which, which now is a total of 3% for the movers and shakers 
who will actually dedicate their lives to this movement. And they will gather around them another, uh, let's say, 12 percent who know in their hearts and in their instinct that this is the right thing to do. They're, they're good people and they want to support this movement. They're not going to become the leaders. They're not going to take too many risks, but they'll support it and they'll help you spread the word and they'll be the workers. Now you've got 15%. That is the critical mass in my view. Sounds like you're explaining you QAnon. 15%, oh, yeah, well, once you have 15% moving in the right direction and uh, not being splintered and so forth. But then the other 85%, they're, they're going to be, what's going on? They'll have no idea. They'll, whoever wins, they'll say, well, I was always for that side. Count me in. It's kind of the way it was in the American yeah. Revolution. Mm -hmm. There were only about 15% of the American people, the colonists, who were really active in the American Revolution. The other 85% were trying to figure out whether they should get out of here and go to Canada, uh, get out so they didn't have to get involved. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, now they're patriots. Uh, after, after the, uh, after the uh, rebels won the war, oh, they, are, they were yeah. great patriots. But 85%, you couldn't count on. So having said that now, going back to what do we do? If we can reach that 15% and get them all united behind an idea, and the idea, there's only one idea that can unite people on a broad section, and that is that collectivism is not the way to go. That means they have to learn about the constructive opposite of collectivism, which is individualism. So I created an organization called Freedom Force International dedicated to that mission of how you, how you create an awareness of and become then a teaching force to, to popularize an understanding of individualism and its many benefits as opposed to collectivism so that the ideology foundation is there. Then you've got to get people active into organizations that go out and become active in politics and become active in communications and so forth. And that's what we are trying to build through a chain of other organizations called Red. We call it the Red Pill Project. We have a Red Pill University and Red Pill uh, Expo, both of which work together. We're having our next Red Pill Expo, by the way, uh, coming up on June 5th and 6th in um, Rapid City, South Dakota, of all places. Of course, nice. South, South Dakota is one of the few sane states. They're not wearing masks. They're not, they're not in lockstep. They're saying, look, this is yeah. insane. And so we're going there. Of course, it's the Rapid City is the gateway to Mount Rushmore, our national monument there. It's a quite impressive thing to see. And so we're having our next expo there. The last one, by the way, was in October on Jekyll Island. We had it right there on Jekyll Island. Wow. And, uh, and we, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, we reached thousands and thousands of people. Uh, actually, the ones that could actually come was about just under a thousand. This time in, in Rapid City, I think we're going to double that. And of course, we're live streaming and all that. So we're on the way. We're doing what we can. The secret sauce, the answer to your question, I believe, is that we need to have a coalition, a coalition of people from a wide spectrum of, of culture, religious, racial, economic, uh, gender, backgrounds or whatever. They can they can disagree with each other and have different opinions on a lot of things as is healthy in a free society. But the one thing they would all agree on is the fact that individualism is superior to collectivism. If we can create unity on that one principle and say, okay, leave your disagreements at the door, leave your 
leave your weapons at the door when you come into the saloon, you know, and, uh, yeah. and we're in the process of doing that now. And uh, I'm very hopeful uh, because the, the movement is growing very rapidly. And I think it's going to be a close call. But I'm for the first time in the last uh, 20 years, I'm beginning to have a real uh, ray of hope and a sort of a real genuine optimism and not kind of a forced optimism. You know, this is real and genuine. I see it growing. Uh, yeah, super interesting. So uh, you can find uh, G. Edward Griffin. You can find him on Twitter at G. Edward underscore Griffin. Um, freedomforceinternational.org, redpilluniversity.org as well. Is there anything else you want to plug there, G? You can find his book on Amazon, well, both of his books on Amazon. You could also find uh, that book and everything else we've produced at, at um, uh, realityzone.com. That's our site. And uh, perhaps the most important site right now, though, I think is redpillexpo.org because okay. that's where you'll find all the information about the upcoming expo in Rapid City, South Dakota. It's probably beautiful up there, man. You guys should someone is, yeah. go check it out. That time of the year, yeah, um, yeah. This time of the year, it's getting pretty good right now. I talked to yeah. the lady at the conference center up there just the other day. She said it was a beautiful day. The birds were singing and all that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so that, make sure you buy his book. Uh, like I said, this is an iconic book. I knew about it when I first started getting into uh, uh, researching, uh, for lack of a better term, conspiracies and everything like that. This was one of the first books that I read. Uh, it was one of the most highly recommended books that I that I've uh, ever um, uh, hear, heard people talk about. Uh, so many people have, have recommended this book to me. It is like literally like a Bible of sorts. Um, you can find us. Thank, wait, thank you, G, yeah, for yeah. coming on the show. Thank you for uh, spreading your knowledge and and your wealth of information with the Gray Area Podcast and our and our listeners. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really do appreciate your time. Well, gentlemen, thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed talking to you and, and keep your spirits high and uh, get into the big fight. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, G. Thanks take for everything some, uh, that you do, brother. Take some off spray when you're up in South Dakota. You don't <laughs> want those big ass South Dakota mosquitoes getting <laughs> yeah, all on get you. In your ass. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> all right, G. Thanks a lot, buddy. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Um, good luck with all your, uh, all your endeavors here coming up. And thanks for everything that you do. We really do. We need more people like you. And uh, you're helping to advance uh, true freedom and everything, man. So this is great. Yeah. Awesome. Keep up the good work, too. So thank you. Thanks, Mr. Griffin. Have a good day. Yep. Um, This is a good episode, man. It's a good good informative interview. I like that. Uh, I'm glad we got to get him on, man, because um, he's someone I've always wanted to talk to. And he was a mutual. We have a mutual friend uh, who put me in touch with him. So super happy that we got on, got him on, man. Because there's some uh, there's some really cool, crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Tell know? them where to find us. Yes, you can find us on Instagram at podcast the gray area, facebook.com backslash the gray area podcast, Boom. Twitter at podcast gray area, Boom. uh dot com. Fake fresh can, daily, baby. Yeah, check out some of Hot Pie's uh, other um, podcasts they got on there. So many awesome podcasts. They do We're gonna have a job. conversation about paranormally. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I am now 100%. I believe that the shit falling off the wall 100% <laughs> is from them. Yeah. I'll explain it on our next episode. Oh, but I will that's te- a teaser. I, I will tell you, I believe the shit falling around here is absolutely paranormally influenced. <laughs> yeah. That's a good show. I, man, I actually, man. I actually binged the whole show. Their did whole, you really? I did. I've heard every episode. Dude, that's awesome. Um, and we need to get Aaron on here. So we can get him, or actually, don't. He doesn't need to come. Yeah, yeah. But what yeah. we need is some sage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need us um, an old yellow lady from Nolens to come through here. <laughs> 
<laughs> with some incense and shit. A yellow lady. Yeah, a little yellow bone. You know what I'm yeah. saying? We gotta get this little yellow, yellow bone come through here. When them Creole ladies come through and put that nana on this place or something, <laughs> goddamn it, because. <laughs> But you can find Chad on Instagram and Twitter at... At Comedy Chad on Twitter, Instagram, Chad Fisher Comedy. Check out my website, chadfishercomedy.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the Aaron Cheatham, Facebook Aaron Cheatham. Uh, thank you guys, though, for tuning in to another episode of the Gray Area Podcast. Thank you so much. Don't be stingy. Hit that like button, that share button, subscribe button, subscribe, subscribe to Hot Pie Media. Yeah. Uh, leave reviews. We love hearing from you guys. And, you know, please, by all means, we want to get feedback. So tell us what's up. Uh, but until next time, you guys be kind to each other. Be safe out there. And here's mud in your eyes. Peace. Peace. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.